This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Welcome to another episode of the Fertility Hour. I'm your host, Charlene Lincoln. And today we have a guest that we've had in the past. She was wonderful and we've invited her back because she has, um, she's releasing a book and at the end of the month. So her name is Lisa Henderson-Jack, Certified Fertility Awareness Educator and Holistic Reproductive Health Practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. In her new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. Drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence-based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. She hosts the popular Fertility Friday podcast, a weekly radio show devoted to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. Okay. Hello, Lisa. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. Yeah, you're welcome. So yeah, you reached out to me and you wrote a book. Oh, wow. I'm so impressed by that. (laughs) I did. It was, uh, it took about two years. Like it took like a year and a half longer (laughs) than I thought it would to bring it into life. Uh, But it's been an incredible process and really it's interesting. I think sometimes your first book, especially if it's in like the career that you're in, mm-hmm. it kind of represents like almost 20 years of experiences p- piled into one lovely book. Oh my gosh. So I'm impressed that you thought it was going to take you six months to write. <laughs> that just shows my, I'm kind of over ambitious. Like, yeah. yeah. You're very overly. Optimism is like a nice way to say it. I was saying yeah. naivety. Okay, well, that's, I think that's good. I try to go through life. like. Uh, I guess you have to be a little, yeah, yeah. You kind of have to be a little bit optimistic and naive, though, to kind of do big things. (laughs) I think so, too. Absolutely. Um, Okay, well, uh, I love it because, you know, last time we spoke and we were talking about the menstrual cycle, and then you said the menstrual cycle is a vital sign um, I have borrowed that, you know, in, in other interviews. I, I, I love that. And I, you know, as being a Chinese medicine practitioner, that's what we're taught that the menstrual cycle, gosh, you always ask about it. All the, you know, kind of the nitty gritty, a little bit like TMI more than people would have ever really discussed um, with anybody about it. Um, but it tells so much about the, um, the individual, that the health of the person, even before other signs and symptoms manifest right absolutely i mean that's essentially the message of the book because in our culture we're taught that the menstrual cycle is only really important when you're ready to have babies and outside of making babies it's kind of irrelevant however um the menstrual cycle is like a vital sign meaning that if you do have a health 
challenge or if something's happening, um, something affecting endocrine function or something like that, then you will find that your cycle will respond and sometimes it'll go outside of the normal parameters. And for many women, that can be the very first sign that there's something wrong. Uh, absolutely. So let's, um, let's talk about, well, I mean, tell me, cause you've kind of, you've dedicated your life to helping women track their cycles and, and you have tracked your cycle for the last, um, I hope I'm not like 20 years or something. Right. Is that yeah, I, I discovered it young. I was somewhere around 18 or 19 when I first started charting. And um, I'm 30, like 36, turning 37 this year. So it's been nearly two decades of cycle tracking. Um, so I mean, just to take it back, I like to give analogies. And so um, even in the book, like I kind of define what a vital sign is. And I mean, I think we're most familiar familiar with the common vital signs like your blood pressure or your um, your temperature or even your respiration rate and in the same way that we all know that, that there's a normal range for these things so if you were to go into your doctor's office and they're going to measure these vitals if they're outside of the norm they're going to know it because there's an established set of, of normal parameters and also they kind of know what it would indicate not necessarily that they're going to have a, a firm diagnosis if your temperature is high, but that's going to signal to them, okay, we know that it could be these things. And so in the very same way, your menstrual cycle then has like a set of normal parameters. Um, we often think of it in terms of length only. And so, and 28 days <laughs> being, uh, being the only acceptable version. Uh, but what the research tells us is that um, the cycle range, like a normal cycle typically falls somewhere between about 24 and 35 days. And um, because your cycle is more than just your period, we could look at all the different aspects of the cycle. We could look at menstruation um, to see if it's healthy and normal. Um, you know, typically menstruation would fall between three and seven days. We would expect to have, you know, not too much bleeding, but not too little bleeding. And then we would expect you to, you know, approach ovulation <laughs> within the first half of the cycle. We would expect to see some cervical mucus as you approach ovulation. And um, we would expect you to, to ovulate <laughs> and then if in terms of like a 24 to 35 day cycle ovulation would then take place somewhere between day 10 and day 23 you'll notice I didn't say day 14 <laughs> um, but it's helpful to know that there is a range of what would be considered to be normal with regards to when ovulation is taking place of course it getting to the 35 day range is getting a little bit high in terms of length but at least we still have this sense of like there is a normal range and you could be kind of close to the edges of it and um, and then once you ovulate, we would expect your period to come about two weeks later. So as you can see, I just kind of broke down all those parameters. And so all of a sudden we have all of this information and we realize, okay, it's not just my period. It's not just the length of my cycle. And I can kind of look at all these different factors and see where I fall. And if you're working with someone who's trained in reading menstrual cycles, then that can actually give them specific information as to where to look if there is a problem that you're concerned about. Okay, so let's talk about, I mean, you spoke about some parameters about the days and how uh, ovulation doesn't necessarily, you know, land on day 14, but um, do you talk about um, kind of like the quality of, of the menstrual blood or if there, you know, a common thing is clotting, like what can clotting indicate and um, what if you are missing um, ovulation? I mean, how, how would one know, I guess, if you weren't, if you were anov unless you were tracking right is that that's kind yeah. of really know 
Um, so let's talk about kind of what's, what's kind of in more detail, what's the healthy cycle looking like? Um, well, yeah, I mean, the healthy cycle is falling within those parameters. In terms of the period, we could go a little bit more in depth to the quality. We would expect the period to last somewhere between three to seven days. So some women have like a very short period meaning like one day or two days. And so if it's really short and very light, then we would want to look into that. Um, in terms of bleeding, an average menstrual bleed uh, falls somewhere between 35 to 45 milliliters. But the range of what would be considered normal is somewhere between 25 and 80 milliliters. And um, so to put it into perspective, if you were using pads or tampons, you would be filling like three to four pads or tampons for like four, four days or so type of thing. Or if you're using a menstrual cup, you would fill it like on the lower end, you would fill the whole cup at least once if you were to look at all the days of your period. Um, and the reason that 80 milliliters is at the high end is because what the research shows us is that if you're bleeding more than that, like heavier than that, um, you're more likely to have iron deficiency, anemia, more likely. And then also extremely heavy bleeding is associated with certain issues like fibroids or endometriosis or adenomyosis or things like that. So it's helpful to know, I think for a lot of women um, who just bleed heavy, maybe they've always bled heavy, they may not know that, you know, it doesn't mean that there's automatically a problem, but it's helpful if it's really far outside the range to kind of check that out. And in terms of the color, we would expect it to be some variant of red. Um, so for, you know, I've spoken to a lot of women who might notice kind of like some brown tail and bleeding or some really kind of, it looks really oxidized. I think as women, even though we're not taught a lot about our periods, you have that sense of like, what is this? It shouldn't look like this and really cloudy. And so, I mean, it, it, it can indicate a lot of different things. I've um, talked on my podcast a lot about vaginal steaming. I've interviewed Dr. Rosita Arvigo, who founded the Arvigo um, the, the techniques of Arvigo therapy. I'm sure I said the name wrong, but Arvigo therapy. And um, uh, Kelly from Steamy Chick. And so in some women, there's like with these ancient kind of teachings around it, there's this idea that if your uterus is out of alignment and um, maybe even if your hormones are a bit out of balance, then you may not be fully kind of emptying um, your, your bleeding in your period. And also, for instance, the way that your endometrium forms during like in order for you to have a period <laughs> what has to happen is before ovulation you know, you know you're as you approach ovulation you're producing estrogen and so your estrogen level um, your estrogen production is actually what causes the uterine lining to proliferate and grow um, estrogen is responsible for creating that functional layer of the endometrium inside of your uterus so if your estrogen levels are optimal where they're supposed to be you're going to it's going to help to develop the uterine lining. And then after ovulation, you produce progesterone in large amounts, um, significantly more progesterone than we produce estrogen. And progesterone has a separate role where it actually helps the lining to mature and prepares the lining for implantation. And so each of these hormones have a very specific role in developing the lining. And if you, for instance, if your hormone balance was off, if your progesterone wasn't where it needed to be, if your second half of the cycle, your luteal phase was really short, then you could have less bleeding or scant bleeding, you might have cloudy bleeding, it can be related then to your hormonal balance. And um, for many women, because we're not really taught a lot about the cycle, we may not be differentiating between a true menstrual bleed and other types of uterine bleeding. <laughs> so in order for you to have a period, you have to ovulate 
Um, because a period, like I mentioned, it's a result of this process. Like your uterine lining has to fully develop because of these hormones. So if, it, if you're not ovulating, you're not producing progesterone, therefore your uterine lining is never fully developing. So for instance, women taking hormonal birth control, um, you know, when you take in the synthetic hormones, it, it, it it's synthetic hormones. They basically interfere with your natural endocrine function. And so then when you take the pill or the, um, I always call it pill, but it's the sugar pills, <laughs> Uh, or you, you know, pull off the patch or take out the ring, then you have this bleeding, but it's not your period because you didn't ovulate. Um, many women experience spotting. I'm sure as you know, like different types of bleeding that can happen. And there's even a situation where some women experience anovulatory bleeding, meaning, you know, they are, if they were tracking, so when I'm working with a woman who's charting, so she's taking her temperature charting, there's no shift. <laughs> she didn't ovulate but then she might have like a day or two of bleeding that's kind of typically lighter than her actual period. Maybe if she wasn't tracking, she wouldn't know. She would just think it was a really light period. Um, this is kind of a long answer, but just, just to give a sense, like I feel like it's really helpful to have some context around the bleeding um, and just to have a sense of what it is. Cause you asked like, what could it be if the bleeding was abnormal, if it's clotty, if it's those types of things. So these are certain things that we would want to look at. Right. Um, I wanted to kind of go back a few because I really don't know. Though I've heard um, about vaginal steaming, you know, very often, but I've never really looked into it. What do women use vaginal steaming for? Like, what does it really indicate, um, indicated for? Well, I mean, there's a wide range of answers to that question. And so from a more traditional sense, um, the practices go back like thousands of years, like in Mayan traditions in different places around the world. It was uh, news to me that it's actually this thing that there's like across the world, women do this. So typically women are doing it postpartum. Um, Often midwives are encouraging women to do the steaming postpartum to kind of help um, just extrapolate any additional um, blood and tissue. Um, the way I've seen it, though, in terms of the women that I'm working with, so if I'm working with somebody who is experiencing, um, whether it's premenstrual spotting or like postmenstrual spotting, so often having several days of like dark brownish, sometimes even blackish bleeding, like it just looks wrong. <laughs> and it's like, because you would expect blood to be red, and if you're seeing this kind of oxidized, or um, I've actually had a number of women have concerns, they're using a menstrual cup, and when they're trying to pour the blood out, so TMI, whatever day this is being released on, it's like molasses right? Like it's not really you would expect the blood to be blood yeah so in those types of situations um, I've had clients who've opted to do steaming and so for anyone who's never heard of it I know it's really controversial a lot of um, a lot of people talk about it and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding if you've ever gone to like a sauna it's kind of like a bath for your vagina except it's steam and it's not painful it doesn't hurt it's nothing like that it's really comfortable and all of that kind of stuff so it's very like you're just sitting over like a bowl of steam at a very comfortable temperature for like 30 minutes or something so it's so non-invasive um but i'll have i've had a number of clients do this and they might because they're charting they know when they ovulate they know when their periods are coming so charting allows you to predict your period so then they can time it so that they're doing it maybe like two three days before the period comes 
Um, and this is women who aren't actively trying to conceive, doing it at that phase of their cycle. And, um, and then when they do that a couple of cycles, what happens is that their bleeding changes and um, over the course of like one to three cycles, they typically have their back to red bleeding, the, you know, there's no more of that molassesy kind of stuff. Like, so it just improves the blood flow. Um, and it seems almost too simple to work. But it, 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 I've had a number of clients experience just that, where they're concerned about the tail end kind of brown bleeding, and then after a few cycles, it goes away. Okay, and there's and there's herbs in the steam. It's not you thing. can um, you could do it with salt water, but you could also add in you know if you want to add in some oregano or some thyme. Um, you know, there's that's like very basic. So you can make it as complicated as you want. So if you were to say, look into some of the practitioners to teach vaginal steaming, I mean, they have formulations for different things. It's not my specialty. It's not my specialization. So I don't know off the top of my head all the different herbs, but yeah, there's a lot of different, um, more in-depth ways to, to target specific things. Okay. And then I think something, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a big misconception, and you talked about it, is when women are put on the birth control pill, they do feel like they are getting their period, right? And it, and it is more, a, it's a pill bleed. It's, it's not their period. So it's interesting when women, like when you work with women, what's the average time that, they're, that they've been on a birth control pill? Because sometimes I've met with women who've been on it, gosh, seven to 10 years and um, it seems like a really long time. I don't, I don't think it was ever designed to be for a woman to be kept on that long, right? They're kept on to regulate their periods as, as young girls at like 15 and then they're 25, they're using it as birth control. It's like 10 years have gone by. Um, so tell me a little bit about kind of that misconception about that not really being a period and um, yeah. just getting back to a normal cycle after that. I mean, sometimes it's difficult, right, um, to kind of regulate back yes well i'll i'll try to kind of break down there's so many like this is a, a great topic it's one of my favorite things to talk about um one of your questions was like what's the average length of time that my clients have been on hormonal birth control and it really ranges so um i do have a couple of clients like a small percentage who've never been on birth control it's always like wow how did you manage not to be on birth control i've been on birth control like everyone's been on birth control um but for the most part i mean it really depends i have a lot of women who've been on birth control for say 10 years um, and I see a lot of women kind of mid thirties, late forties who were taking it for like 15 to 20. Um, your comment about how it was designed. So I have a whole section, like I was, you know, I'm just a super curious person. So of course I looked into the research and what's really, it, it, it's, it's really interesting because when the pill was first designed, I mean, it's kind of like all like a lot of different things in medicine. They kind of stumbled onto this thing, like, wow, progesterone, um, and estrogen, prevent ovulation and so what happened was they put the women on this pill like the very first formulation and the women just stopped getting their periods and the women actually because this was in um, the 50s <laughs> there was no context so these women um, some of whom had been you know trying to conceive which um, I, they, they were they were um, I think initially it was they were trying to use it or for purposes of fertility. So you actually had women who were trying to conceive who were taking this pill and they stopped getting their periods and they thought that they were pregnant. And so because there was no context in the 50s, these women were absolutely devastated when they discovered that they weren't pregnant. 
So then what happened was the, you know, the, the makers of the pill ended up having to add the pill bleed that we know and love today um, to the formulation because otherwise they lit like these women were like devastated, couldn't, you know, understand what was going on because there was no precedent for this. Um, this was a totally new thing back then. And so in order to get them to go along with it, they had to create this pill bleed. And of course they could have, it's arbitrary because when you're on the pill, it's stopping your cycle. It's not giving you a cycle. It's basically overriding your cycle and replacing it with a fake chemical cycle so they could have chosen like 72 days 36 days like 100 days but of course they chose 28 because they wanted women to believe that they were still menstruating so from the very beginning of this journey you know 60 years ago when the pill first was put on the market in the 60s the the women were lied to and to this day we still have this language around the pill we use it to regulate this that does no such thing <laughs> We use it too. You know what I mean? Like for women, um, I think there's there's a lot of case, like there's so many specific cases where it's used where it's problematic. So for example, women with polycystic ovary syndrome. So women with polycystic ovary syndrome, the characteristic chart, the menstrual cycle chart of a woman um, with polycystic ovary syndrome is that she typically has delayed ovulation. So she's still ovulating, but she might go you know, two months between periods, she might have like four or five periods a year, just depending on how kind of significant her symptoms are. So then the doctor says, well, let's regulate your cycles and puts you on the pill. So what the pill does then is it takes away the cycle, it takes away her information, because her cycle being sporadic and irregular is actually giving her information. Because if you think of your cycle as a vital sign, <laughs> it's telling you, hey, your body can't talk to you in words. So it's telling you that there's something wrong that you need to look into. So the pill masks all of that. And then you get your bleed every 28 days. And then you can kind of go about your life thinking that everything is fine. Meanwhile, whatever was causing your cycles to be irregular is still happening in the background. So for example, like insulin resistance, characteristic of PCOS, like having an issue with sugar, um, increasing your cardiovascular risk factors to the level of a person with type 2 diabetes, increasing your lifetime risk of type 2. Like there's all of these like actual serious <laughs> medical risks that are associated with this condition. And instead you, you put someone on the pill that actually increases insulin sensitivity. So it actually like makes it worse. Uh, um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when I was in school, one of my professors was a, a gynecologist from China and she, um, I mean, she really told us about the dangers of the pill. And it was a pretty small class of probably 25 of us, men and women, and everyone got off the pill. And I think three women got pregnant that year because they didn't plan <laughs> accordingly. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just yeah. that. But, um, you know, um, they we should have talked about before you do this, you need to, you know, learn family planning method or whatever. But, um yeah, so so that that's great because yeah, kind of like um, you know having a daughter who's really young now. I'm so glad that um, I think by the time that she's sexually active, um, there'll be um, many more alternatives to a synthetic birth control pill um, as an option because I know that that is a convenient option and I know it's problematic in in so many ways and um, that you know it kind of makes me sad like um, you know the the um, example of the PCOS. I could see why that's such a seductive option. You know, your doctor tells you and it's regulating your period, which you said is not true. Um, 
and it's masking but all these things. But it gives you a pill bleed every it gives 28 days. you a pill bleed, and it, it kind of masks a lot of the an uncertainty of your health, you know, especially if you're a young woman trying to kind of deal with all of that. Um, but unfortunately, then getting off of it. Um, I mean, this is a show about fertility, and I know one of the things is um, – I know that Dr. Laura Bryden wrote the foreword to your book and I had an opportunity to interview her. She's wonderful. She wrote the period repair manual. And um, it's, it's sad because then women get off the pill and then for, um, because they were always misinformed in the first place, they aren't really taught that it's going to take maybe quite a bit of time to regulate the endocrine system and the hormonal system then they feel like they're having fertility issues and then they get assessed by an IVF clinic and they feel like the only way is to go and um, go the IVF route versus regulating the cycle back, right? Which could take some time and patience. Are you, are you working with women who've been on the pill for a while and are trying to regain their, their reproductive health um, after being on synthetic birth control? Yes, absolutely. And you know, you've touched on one of the areas that I am just so passionate about, because I see it as being very problematic and harmful for women not to be fully informed about the side effects of hormonal birth control, and also the way that birth control affects fertility. So, you know, of course, being the nerd that I am, I I really took some time to see what the research has to say about it. And it's really helpful to do that because it kind of quashes some of your preconceived notions about it. But basically, I mean, what the research tells us and the reason why women aren't really fully counseled about the, the side effects is because hormonal birth control is a quote, reversible method of birth control. So what the research tells us is that there is a temporary delay in the return of a woman's normal fertility post pill. And so because eventually I'll leave that for emphasis. Um, your fertility returns to normal, then um, the real like the, there's no focus and no benefit to the, the the drug companies to tell women about this delay. So even as I was reading the research papers, what's interesting is that even though the researchers will like they'll do the the study and they'll show that women have either you know a delay in how long it takes for them to resume fertility a delay in how long it takes them to get pregnant at the end the conclusion is always like well this is a perfectly safe and reversible option Um, but we know how this plays out into women's lives so let's paint the picture right you have a woman who was told from a very young age that she could get pregnant at any time so she was terrified of getting pregnant basically like if she's anything like me, I thought that if I ever had sex ever once, I would get pregnant full stop. <laughs> like that was what the information was. So I was terrified and I'm sure that I wasn't the only one. We're all like terrified that we're going to have an unplanned pregnancy from every act of sex ever. So then you really diligently prevent pregnancy over the course of your you know, teens and your 20s, still under this impression that for like pregnancy is a given and automatic every time you have sex. So then, you know, 10 years goes by, you find, and we live in a culture that is really not into the young women getting pregnant, where you live in a culture where in order to support your family, you do have to get your, you know, act together, you got to get a job, (laughs) you need a place to live, you probably need to have a partner, maybe not, but either way, this is the story, right? And so we're all trying so hard as women to get our stuff together so that we can have a baby and and be secure so that we can be financially supported, uh, supported in a, in a relationship, all of these things. So finally, you know, all the, all the things align, you finally, you know, find the partner, you have the job, you've got all the things lined up. Maybe you're now 35, 
you go off, you, even I've, I've spoken to so many women who've even gone to their doctors and it's like, okay, I'm getting married in the fall. Should I come off the pill? No, absolutely not. You know, you'll probably get pregnant right away. Like, this is what they're told. And I'm not like, this is an actual, like I've heard the same story from actual women, you know, all the times so I'm trying to suppress my like rage. Okay. <laughs> and then, <laughs> right. Fight of the yeah. cheat, fight of the yeah. cheat. And then what happens, as we know, you go off the pill and some women do get pregnant right away, but some women do not. What the research tells us is that when, um, so there was a couple different studies that I looked at one where they actually looked at the cycle parameters. So it was a really interesting study because it wasn't like a time to pregnancy study. It was like a cycle parameters. So they basically had a group of women that had never been on hormonal birth control and then they had the women who just come off and if you look at the data side by side it took an average of nine to twelve cycles before the women who just came off birth control looked pretty much like the women who had never been on it nine to twelve cycles now off birth control it's very typical for the first couple cycles to be long for ovulation to be delayed and also for the luteal phase to be short and so that could be you know 12 to 18 months so then what the time to pregnancy studies show us, so that's a different thing. So that's taking women who are uh, like using condoms and women who are using hormones and then, you know, getting them to stop and seeing how long it takes them to get pregnant. So when a woman is on non-hormonal methods, the average time to pregnancy is four months in this particular study. And that's generally like 25% chance of pregnancy per cycle type of thing. Um, but women who were on hormonal, like the pill, so the combined oral contraceptive pill or the patch or the sh like, not the shot, the, the patch, the ring, or, you know, the, the progestin estrogen combo, um, an average of eight cycles, or sorry, eight months. Let me rephrase that. So twice as long for a woman who's coming off of the pill. Um, women who use the shot, it was 18 months. But I think that's more well known that it takes a lot longer for the fertility to return. Um, Is it? I, I didn't know that. Okay. But oh. I never... Well, I'm going to stop making assumptions then. Yeah. No, like for instance, like Depo, it's well known that it suppresses fertility for longer. So meaning like an average, when I say average, it means some women took even longer and some women got pregnant earlier, right? Um, and so think about that for a minute. So if you're taking hormonal birth control, it would take on average twice as long to get pregnant, like when you come off of it. And so then going back to your woman in my mythical example there, who's 35, finally has everything together, goes off the pill just before she gets married. You know, even though people play it cool, I think you and I both know that given this history of being taught that we could get pregnant every day, after like two months of trying, most women are in straight up freak out territory. So by the time four or five months comes around, they're already in the fertility clinic. And they're already getting IVF by month nine or, or IUIs and possibly IUF by month nine, 10, 11, 12. And what the research tells us is that about that, you know, um, nine, 10, 11, 12 month mark afterwards, that's when our cycles are really starting to normalize. Um, one really kind of scary fact that I discovered <laughs> in the research for my book um, is that uh, so hormonal birth control actually shrinks the ovaries and reduces the ovarian reserve parameters. And so like literally, not figuratively. So I found a study where they, like women coming off of hormonal birth control, their average ovarian volume, so the actual size of their ovaries was anywhere from 50 to 60% smaller. 
And then the ovarian reserve parameters, that's like your AMH, anti-malarial hormone, antral follicle count, um, in addition to the ovarian volume, and just in general, were reduced for a period, a minimum period of about six or seven months post-pill. Now, I had to go where the money is to find this research. So this was actually research about fertility preservation. So this is for women who are, you know, trying to freeze their eggs at a younger age. So that's where the money is. So that's where the research is. So what this, what they were doing basically was um, they, they, they discovered that if a woman just comes off the pill to like get her eggs frozen, she typically has like lower ovarian reserve parameters. Therefore, they get less eggs because the, the AMH and the antral follicle count, they are not necessarily predictive of a woman's natural like ability to conceive in her bed, <laughs> they're predictive of how effective it's going to be to extract eggs from her ovaries for IVF purposes specifically. <laughs> so what they find is that if she comes right off the pill and then does her stimulation, she gets less eggs. But if she waits six to seven months, she gets more eggs. And then the ovarian reserve parameters normalize. So then like, as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, this is, why is this any different than for women who are trying to get pregnant? Why shouldn't all women know this so that we can like, like, cause if you tell all women that your fertility is reduced for a period of time, that's a good idea to get off the pill like ahead of time so that you can let your body normalize, let your cycles regulate naturally, figure out if there's any issues, like, you know, give yourself some insurance in that respect. And like, also, of course, um, you know, plants and preconception nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. Like if you actually do those things, if you told women about that, we'd all be on board. Like we plan our weddings. We're good. We're smart. Like you can tell us, we can do it. <laughs> but by not telling it, us this, it increases our chances of getting IVF and all kinds of procedures before our bodies have even normalized. Um, yes. I, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a little bit of craziness. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you were saying about the scenario of the 35-year-old woman and trying for a couple months and kind of freaking out, I was like, well, hope, hopefully she doesn't freak out that quickly. But I think the age thing, because then when you're 35, you're suddenly, you're broaching what they call, like, what is it? Um, Advanced what is it maternal age. Advanced what is it? maternal age. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then if you get pregnant after 35, it's a geriatric. Yeah, geriatric pregnancy. So I think like, you know, you start hearing those labels or a doctor mentions that and you're like, oh my God, a couple months have gone by and yeah, you freak out a little bit and then you get assessed and do that whole thing without knowing about this aspect of it. That's crazy. I, I mean, I hope that someone watching who gets a shot um, I mean, you know, I hope someone listens to that and knows because I didn't know about um, the shot being an average of what you said, 18 months. Yeah. <laughs> for long term, two years or more. So um, short term use was closer to nine months, like eight okay. and a half or nine months. But the shot, generally speaking, like if you ever if you ever know anybody in your life who's used the shot or just like in general, mm -hmm. um, typically it does like your, it takes a long time for a lot of women who get the shot to have their period come back at all. Mm -hmm. So the shot is like the worst offender in terms of the delay specifically and the research supports it. And also, I mean, I've been in this field, so I, I, mm -hmm. know, I know a lot of women have used the shot yeah. and um, the research plus their lived experiences informs that. Um, I'm just always impressed, and now that I uh, now that I'm much more educated about kind of the preconception phase when the 
egg is going through the maturation cycle and how you really need to have your endocrine, hormone balance, adrenal, all that. Um, I'm, I'm always kind of surprised that a woman can get pregnant after taking the birth control pill for an extended amount of time, even within, you know, the, the eight month period or shorter. And then I also, I, I guess I would feel personally that um, I would definitely take that time to make sure that the body is regulated again, you know, um, the charting is, is one aspect of it. And I guess, you know, working with a practitioner and doing some type of gentle fertility cleanse because you've been taking synthetic hormones for, you know, several years now, and that needs to be detoxed out. Your liver is impacted by it. Right. And, um, you know, many aspects of it. So, um, instead of, okay, I'm going to rush and try to get pregnant. I mean, if you can, you know, really look at it as I, I want to, I want to balance my body so that when I get pregnant, I can have a healthy pregnancy, obviously a healthy baby and maintain your own health. And, you know, cause I wonder, I mean, that's a whole other topic, but I wonder how many women have gone through birth control pill, gotten pregnant and then have like postpartum type issues because think about just how many hormones well, I mean, and there's something alone, but the synthetic hormones and never really regulating your, because I was talking to another practitioner. Um, he deals with a lot of thyroid issues. He said, you know, the thyroid goes out of balance and that's kind of one of the main things that causes postpartum. So how would synthetic birth control pills and then getting pregnant really impact the thyroid? I would think it, it would extremely yeah. impact it. Well, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. And I mean, the first thing to say is that, yes, a lot, some women do get pregnant right off of the pill. That doesn't mean that they carry those pregnancies to term. So immediately post pill, you are more likely to miscarry. And as we get older, there's a whole separate issue. So um, what I discovered kind of in my research around it is that, I mean, there's kind of two factors that come into play when it comes to, um, like, you know, as we get older, we're we're, we're kind of more and more aware that it's harder to get pregnant as we get older, but why is that? So on the one hand, we have the increased um, issue with regards to um, like the aging of the egg and mito um, mitochondrial abnormalities and, and things of that nature, but we also have the increased risk of miscarriage. So for a woman in, in her 20s, uh, she may have, you know, maybe like eight percent of pregnancies result in miscarriage or something like that but a woman in her mid-30s um, it's more like 25 percent and by the time a woman hits her 40s about you know at least one one out of every two pregnancies like so by the time we reach 40 like half of the time you miscarry when you get pregnant by the time you reach 45 75 percent three out of four pregnancy um, results in miscarriage. So I think um, in terms of coming off birth control, I think it's important to remember like, yes, women get pregnant, but it doesn't mean that all of those pregnancies go to term um, because your body may or may not be ready for the pregnancy right away. And I think you hit on a really important point, which is that, I mean, I like giving the example of we plan our weddings. We, you know, a lot of women take all this time and all the TV shows and whatever. Um, but when it comes to getting pregnant, uh, even if you do get pregnant immediately after coming off the pill, um, hormonal birth control, especially like and it's, it, it kind of creeps up the, the longer you're on it, is associated with uh, a variety of nutrient deficiencies and the specific nutrients that are depleted on the pill are very important for pregnancy, <laughs> normal fetal development. So folate being the most 
obvious one, long-term pill use is associated with um, a nutrient deficiencies. And it's because the pill changes how we um, methylate and organize and use these hormones or use these nutrients. And it's well-documented. It's, it's, it's there in the literature. Um, in addition to folate, also vitamin B12, vitamin B6. Um, and there's a lot of um, minerals that are put off balance. So zinc deficiency, magnesium, coenzyme Q10, which is really interesting because we know that that's super important for egg quality. Um, but there's a lot of very specific nutrients that are depleted on the pill. And as you mentioned, it suppresses the thyroid function. So, I mean, if you think about it from that perspective, ideally, even if you come off the pill, it's not the best thing to get like come off the pill on Thursday and then get pregnant like the following week. It would actually be more ideal to give yourself and, you know, I suggest I take it a little bit far because I would suggest that if you have the ability to give yourself 18 months to two years, because I like insurance, I like having an insurance policy, especially for women who were put on the pill for an issue. If you were actually put on the pill because you didn't know when your periods were coming and your cycles were really irregular, you're more likely to experience post-pill amenorrhea or a delayed return in the actual period itself. What's interesting about the research is that a lot of the research that's done about the pill, it's they ex like they'll fully exclude women who did have prior cycle issues because they know because of like there's research that shows that when women do have um, cycle irregularities or those types of things, the pill doesn't cause it or make it worse but it masks it so then whatever the issue was it just keeps going on so by the time they come off the like you know it's worse so i think these are all factors where i think what you said is really important which is as women this is something that we need to be more aware of because at the end of the day um um we we have the right to not only like prevent pregnancy but to get, be able to get pregnant when we want to and to, we want, we all want to do the best we possibly can for our, our children. Um, and without that information and knowledge, we are not really put in the best situations to really optimize our baby's health. And as a mom, I have two children. I, like, you'll never regret taking the time to prepare your body for pregnancy and knowing that you kind of did everything that you could just to optimize. And, and then <laughs> the last thing I'll say about that is that a lot of the focus is on the baby, but it's what you said. If your body is nutrient deficient, got a thyroid issue that's unaddressed, like all kinds of stuff going on, and then you get pregnant on top of it, by the time you have that baby, you have to be that baby's mom. We want you to be in a really good, healthy state, right? Like, this is really serious stuff, and we're just not being given the information. Oh my gosh, I feel like it's like a, a lifelong mission because it's, I mean, here's, here's a couple things that are not common knowledge that you touched upon. The nutrient deficiency that happened by being on the birth control pill, I mean, that is real and it's not remedied from taking a prenatal vitamin for a couple months. It really isn't and it's serious. Like you said, it's well documented, though it's not common knowledge. And, um, and I think, you know, I could kind of feel the pervasive panic of women when you say like a couple years um i, I was interviewing <gasps> Dr. i know like no i i was kind of hoping it was going to happen in the next you know few months or whatever but like um i was interviewing dr christiane northrup and she said the same thing she goes i recommend women have two years and it's like i know that's so hard to hear because we are putting it off 
longer and longer having children and we feel like there's, well, you know, the biological clock and um, in, 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 in some ways it is real. And so you feel, but, but if you push a pregnancy um, on a, a body that's not prepared, um, it's, you know, I mean, it could cause a lot of issues. I mean, there's, there's so many kids. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. There's, a, it just feels like, more and more there's a lot of kids that are being born that have the subpar health and it's just people aren't taught that actually it's not just the in utero period but it's that four months a year prior of preparing your body that's what's really going to make a difference um though we can't guarantee anything right like we can't guarantee perfect health for our children but we know well, that and it's, it's yeah. really about like in my like i really like that insurance analogy Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the education piece is important. So there's a very real transition period that your body goes through post hormonal birth control of all types. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're aware of it or not, whether you plan for it or not, your body still has to go through this transition period. And that's the, that's the bottom line. That's where my recommendation of 18 months comes from, 18 months to two years. The reason I say that is because some women come off the pill and get their period lickety split. But other women, it takes them two months to four months or six months. And then there's a small percentage of women for whom likely did have some issues, um, you know, maybe that they did know about or they didn't know about. Maybe those were why they were put on the pill in the first place. But for their small, there's a small percentage of women for whom their period does, like I interviewed a couple ladies on my podcast who came off the pill and the period didn't come back for like four years. Now that's really outside of the norm. The pill doesn't cause that. Again, these women had, um, in that case, that's hypothalamic amenorrhea. Like they actually had to work on themselves and replete their energy stores, make sure they're eating enough, gain some, like this hypothalamic amenorrhea is its own beast. But the pill was masking that for them, right? The issue was there. The pill didn't cause them to have that, but it definitely masked it. Like if you're not on the pill and you don't get your period, then you know, <laughs> right? But if you're on the pill and you like, you know, you, then you don't know. So I suppose the, the, the purpose for that, it's like you plan for the worst and hope for the best. Like I have to have, it's by law, that I have to have insurance on my car. I don't plan to get into an accident ever, but I have to have insurance. And so this is kind of like the reality check that we all know. It's not convenient. No one wants to hear that you should take that long. And the, the important part of the conversation, and then so all of, I mean, everything that we're talking about today, I mean, just to put it out there, like I am a super science nerd and over a thousand citations in the book, like I'm, I really believe in like sharing the information and not, I don't want people to be like Lisa said, like really like you can check this stuff out for yourself because it's important as women for us to feel confident. We go to the doctor's office, we ask for support. Many women are laughed at if they say they want to, you know, come off birth control or manage their fertility in a different way. So a big part of this conversation about coming off so what I'm saying is when you are still actively avoiding pregnancy, <laughs> come off the pill. But you need to have a strategy and a plan so that you don't end up like all the, your classmates <laughs> who had these unplanned pregnancies, right? You have to have a strategy and a plan in place so that you can um, avoid, continue to avoid pregnancy naturally while cycling and preserving your fertility. So having a menstrual cycle that is free of the hormones is a way to preserve your fertility because when you're ready to get pregnant, you just start having sex on the days. You don't, your body doesn't go through a transition phase. Um, so fertility awareness, I mean, I'm obviously as a fertility awareness instructor, but a lot of people aren't that familiar with it. It's not the only 
only way to go, but it certainly is helpful in the general sense. When you learn about your cycle and you learn that there's only a small window of time that you can get pregnant and you learn how to interpret that, regardless of whether or not you want to use it as birth control, you are no, like it, de it demystifies all of this, all of all, it demystifies everything. So you no longer have to be afraid like you now know pregnancy isn't just a given and you actually have the ability to make these decisions and to control what's going to happen. Mm, absolutely. I, th I think people are still really intimidated about tracking their basal body temperature and the cervical mucus. And it's not, it seems really complicated um, on the outside. Right. And it doesn't have to be. Um, and there's well, a lot did of you brush your teeth this morning? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it of course it sounds like a lot but this is how I break it down I mean when like and this is TMI like I'm always talking about vaginas and stuff mm -hmm. so just have to bear with me but like when you went to the bathroom today whenever you did you wiped mm -hmm. yourself like no one had to tell you that so when you're shooting fertility awareness you're literally like wiping like you would already but you're paying attention mm -hmm. um when you're tracking your basal body temperature like there's all these different ways now there's all these different tools that allow you to do that but essentially like just like you would brush your teeth and it takes five minutes or whatever you put the thermometer, like this is, at the end of the day, there's a lot of weird science, like medical misogyny going on where it's like women are too stupid to figure this stuff out. So let me just pat her on the head and give her a pill because she's just too dumb to like, no, that's enough, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like it insults the intelligence of like women all over the world to say that we couldn't figure this out. Now it's not for everyone. Every woman doesn't feel like gravitated to do it this way there's lots of different ways to avoid hormones right like some women will just use condoms some women will use withdrawal like the dirty little secret that no one talks about some women <laughs> will um use um like the copper iud which you know has its own challenges but they're non-hormonal challenges so there's lots of different ways to manage your fertility uh depending on your specific thing but the idea that fertility awareness is too complicated um, so my experience as an educator, because I get to teach women, it's like the greatest job ever, but my experience as an educator is that, yeah, there's a, like, it's like learning to drive. There's road signs and all kinds of stuff going on there. But once I take through a woman through one cycle and we deal, discuss all the roadmaps and signs and figure all this stuff out, women get it, they get it quickly and they get it within one to three cycles. With instruction, of course, because that's my experience as a teacher, when you are teaching yourself, uh, you need a minimum of three cycles before you start trying to rely on it for birth control. And also you're going to need some sort of support group. So there's a lot of women who find other women online and join groups and things like that to, to learn and, you know, buy books and resources. Either way, there's no woman on earth who's ever done it completely alone. Like, well, I shouldn't say that. There are. But these days, um, and for the most part, we have to kind of do this together. So either you find an instructor or you need to find people to do it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your body and it's a cycle. You have a cycle. It's not always the same every time, but you have a regular kind of pattern. Like you, when you approach ovulation, you start to see mucus. Maybe in your cycle, you see clear stretchy mucus for a couple of days before you ovulate. Once you start to see that that's what happens when you ovulate, even if it doesn't always happen at the exact time or date of your cycle, you start to get a sense of it. Like, we're not dummies. We can figure this out. Mm, I, I agree. I, I mean, and I, I have to admit, I don't track it anymore. But when I was trying to get pregnant, I just felt like this is the greatest thing ever. It just gave me, you know, it just gave me so much information on um, what was going on. And I felt 
I guess just being um, older for fertility um, woman, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm ovulating and this and, and, and working with a practitioner who is helping me with different herbs. Oh, your temperatures are a little bit low. Let me support your adrenals and things like that. I mean, it was really helpful for, for the practitioner as well. Um, but a thing that um, I just want you to talk about cervical mucus for a minute, because, you know, like you go on YouTube or whatever, and you see like the egg white analogy. And a lot of us don't have like copious amounts of cervical mucus. And then people, women feel like maybe I don't even have cervical mucus, which sometimes they don't, right? And that could be an indicator of, of certain things as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's a big topic. I, I love talking about cervix because I have this huge chapter on it with all these pictures of the cervix and all this kind of stuff. Um, I think that there's a couple things that can be helpful to know. So with the extensive pill use with so many women on the pill for long periods of time, um, hormonal contraceptives are associated with a reduction in cervical mucus production. So when you're on the pill, you typically aren't seeing any mucus. And that's because when, one of the modes of action by the, with the pill is actually to, um, to fill your cervix with a thick mucus plug. And that is something that our bodies naturally do. So outside of our fertile windows, our cervix, our cervices <laughs> are actually closed and we're not making mucus. And, but when you're on the pill, it's just like this kind of all the time type of thing. Obviously, because it needs to work to prevent you from getting pregnant. So what happens is with long-term pill use, you end up with more of the cervical crypts that produce this plug like and less of the cervical crypts that produce, because we have, it's like the cervix is fascinating. It has different crypts that produce different types of mucus. There's like different, like it's just fascinating. But anyways, um, you end up with fewer of the crypts that produce the egg white. So it's not uncommon. I've seen it many times. There's a certain percentage of women who come off hormonal birth control and for several cycles, even if they're ovulating, nothing, no mucus. I've seen it many times. You can still get pregnant as long as there is an ovulation <laughs> happening. Um, there's a lot of factors that have to happen for pregnancy, right? Sperm quality, healthy bodies. So it's not one thing, timing. But just so you know, whenever there is an, an egg, there is a possibility of pregnancy. Um, but with that being said, I think you see my point. There's a lot of different reasons why women may not see it. So some women do see like egg white and in larger quantities. Some women see a little bit. Some women see um, like lotion-y type of mucus and it looks like hand lotion. Um, and all of those would be considered fertile as you approach ovulation. Um, because really what makes cervical mucus fertile is that sperm can survive in it for up to five days. So um, I've supported a number of women who, for instance, have come off hormonal, hormonal birth control. There's a certain percentage of the clients who come off of it and they never have mucus that they can pick up and stretch between their fingers ever <laughs> um, pre-pregnancy uh, post pill. And um, for these women though, they still show signs of fertility. So one of the signs of fertility is that when they're wiping themselves, so that's a big part of cervical checking the way that I teach fertility awareness um, is through the wiping method. And when you're wiping, you'll feel a lubricative, like it feels slippery. So for some women, they don't have a lot of mucus, but they actually feel that lubricative and that's it. And then when they track it, they actually reliably see that it coincides with their ovulation. So this is, it's, it's, it's complicated, but at the same time, like, um, but it's helpful in those situations to kind of know why it's happening. You know, if you've been on the pill for 20 years, like some women again come off of it, they've got all the mucus, but others don't. Okay. 
Yeah, thanks. I like that, the white method. Because, I mean, honestly, yeah, that was the part I, I felt like, oh, that's kind of the most complicated. Is this is this that egg white or whatever? You see the big, like, spindle. You know, I mean, and a lot of women don't have that copious amount. Let's kind of, we're, we're broaching the end, but I want to talk about, like, say that there was a group of um, 20 women in this room and you went around and you asked them, like, what do you feel about your period? Do you like, I mean, you know, women can feel really quite hostile about their menses. I know that probably, I mean, it could be up to like 70% of the women out of this group of 20 who goes, I can't wait till my period. I never have my period again. Um, which is sad. I, I, I want mine to kind of go on forever because I, now I know I, I I've treated it. It used to be a thing where I'd have PMS literally for half the month. And I was like, God, this is horrible. But once I knew that I could, effectively treat that with herbs and supplements and things like that. Now I'm like, Oh, my period. And what's it telling me? And Oh, I didn't even have any PMS. So that's, you know, I could see if it was just wrecking havoc on your life, then yeah, do away with it. But um, so let's talk about like, you can have a healthy period, right? That doesn't screw up your half your month. And <laughs> like that. Oh. Yes. I mean, I, I, that's part of the re like, that's, you know, it's, it's where my heart is. Like, mm -hmm. that's part of the reason, even just in, in doing the work that I do and spreading the message about it. Um, I went through this, like, um, I remember I heard it referred to in a movie, like a post-adolescent idealistic phase. I remember, I think it was in the movie Clueless because I watched that movie so many times. But like, when I was like, fresh out of high school in university like it was like whoa this is so cool I was going to all these feminist talks and it was like the first time in my life that I really learned about sex positivity and um, I was learning about fertility awareness and the menstrual cycle and I mean I had a tumultuous relationship with mine because uh, my periods were so painful I mean I always say like when I actually did go into labor with my first son I was literally in labor all day and I didn't know because I was like this can't be labor these must be Braxton Hicks because when I would get period cramps I'd be on the floor like I remember I had this boyfriend in university and he was like trying to help me and I'm like on the floor on all fours like screaming and he's just like I don't know what to do for you and I'm like just go help like it was like that like super ridiculous and crazy so if anyone should hate their period it should be me oh God, yeah. but but what's interesting is that even when your period is causing you that type of anguish it's still telling you something obviously a lot of things were out of alignment like I was way too inflamed like all of the things that I do now now I have like now my pain is at a level of zero sometimes 0 0.5 um, so when you have the knowledge and information I mean even when you have PMS all month that is or half the month that is telling you something that's quite so again if, if, if we take it to the vital sign concept that is a sign. Your body is talking to you. Something is wrong. And the, the medication and the, the hormonal birth control doesn't fix the fact that something is wrong. Something is going on. Um, and so in terms of looking at your cycle in a positive way, um, it's, it's not easy. There's a lot of layers to it. We don't really live in a world where periods are embraced or supported. Um, but one of the things I think to keep in mind is how important our periods are. So um, when you are having a regular, healthy, normal cycle, that is a requirement for optimal health in your reproductive years. If you stopped having a period, like if you, if you actually go and have, get, you know, hypothalamic gametorrhea, like you stop menstruating, um, 
you know, what is associated with that is significant bone loss and an increased risk of osteoporosis, an increased risk of, like, our cycles are, are a part of us. They're an integral part of, of who we are. And similarly to, like, your pulse and your blood pressure, like, if those things are off, your health is off. So um, that's kind of, like, the first step. But the way I look at it is that our world is upside down and really backwards. As women, we're the ones who carry um, the next generation. So without menstruation, there's no next generation. So like enough already. Like I remember one time I, I had an interview with um, one of my mentors, Geraldine Mattis, and I asked her, I don't remember exactly what I asked her because it's been a while, but I basically like we're having a conversation similar to this one and feeling really frustrated about like the state of women. And it's like, why is it like this? Why aren't women taught about our bodies? And I remember she was like, misogyny. <laughs> And I was like, isn't that kind of harsh, like misogyny? But when I, you know, after all these years thinking about it, like, what is it? Why are we suppressing the feminine so hard? Like, why is it that as a woman, I come of age and I'm not even allowed to like have sex unmedicated? Like hormonal birth control suppresses your libido. That's a whole other topic, yeah. right? So like the whole way that our um, culture addresses our fertility first of all, treats it like a disease that because the pill was the first medication ever designed to um, shut down a perfectly healthy and normal function in the body. So we're being like our, our periods, first of all, are being our, our fertility is being treated like a disease that needs to be cured. And then our fertility is suppressed and thereby our sexuality is suppressed. It's well known that the pill suppresses libido because it reduces our testosterone by like 75%. And so you have a lot of young women. And so also, in addition to shrinking the ovaries, the pill has been shown to shrink the clitoris by an average of 20% and also thin out the vaginal tissues, making it more likely for you to have painful sex. So this is a really big problem. Um, it's not easy to overcome that kind of hatred of your period. I believe it starts with education. And then that allows us the opportunity to try to reclaim our cycles, our sexuality, and our womanhood our femininity and just live <laughs> that's all we want to do right we just want to live free to just be female including our menstrual cycles uh yeah hallelujah i i absolutely agree and not take some stuff that down the road just kind of like the whole hormone replacement therapy oh by the way we kind of made a mistake and what we misinformed Oops. about is actually causing what we're trying to do. We are, we're, we don't, we yeah. didn't mean to cause breast cancer. Whoopsies. Yeah. Gosh. Now I feel a little depressed. Now, um, no, it's, it's, it's nothing, it's nothing new, but yeah, when you put it in all in, in that language, it, it's true. And um, I mean, all we can do is educate ourselves. I feel like the, um, I mean, the future generations, hopefully they'll be so much more informed than us, right? Well, that's I mean, why you have your podcast. And yeah, that's why and you're you sharing. Do, and you wrote the book. I know, absolutely. I mean, there's so much. And um, I know there's um, practitioners on Instagram, and they always talk about the birth control pill and all the deficiencies, and they have quite a large following. I was like, okay, that's cool. They're getting the message out there. Um, because it's true. We're, we're kind of one of the last generations that goes into a doctor's office and just goes, 
oh, whatever you say is that. <laughs> we're like, no, actually, we are, have the same access to information as you, and we're probably on it. I mean, most of us, if you really want to go in and, and um, you know, look at research articles and stuff, I mean, we have all the same access to material as doctors do. Doctors are so busy, they can't even really keep up to date unless they go to a conference or something. So, as you know, I mean, um, no fault to them. Sometimes they don't even know. You know? Well, I mean, that's something I, I like it. I mentioned I'm a really curious person. And so for me, I took the opportunity with my podcast to interview several doctors. Mm -hmm. And I always want to know, I'm like, okay, so what did they teach you in med school? Like, I never went to med school. So why don't you tell me <laughs> what mm -hmm. they taught you? And it's fascinating because here right like we have the sorry um, you froze on me yeah, yeah i saw the internet connection thing but you basically have like illness and drug right mm -hmm. and so um in medical school one of the the doctors that i um interviewed she mentioned that basically they were taught that for every irregular issue or every issue that could happen with the menstrual cycle it was always the pill for everything which makes perfect sense because that's women's lived experiences so myself all of my clients um you know women who listen to the podcast i'm sure all of the women who listen to your podcast like for for any woman who has had an issue with her cycle and she goes to the doctor um you know painful periods irregular what have you fibroids like you name it <laughs> um it's always like painkillers or the pill that's it and, but that is how they're taught. So um, I think that it's really helpful, especially because I've, I've had a lot of time to kind of chew on this. So if someone's listening to this and this is their very first time hearing all this information, it's really overwhelming and it can be just a little bit insane, right? Yeah. But I've had like nearly 20 years to kind of chew on this and to really like channel my feelings of anger and frustration into something hopefully more positive. Um, but if you think about it, then you wouldn't go to like McDonald's for an oil change. I wouldn't go to Chuck E. Cheese and order steak, right? I would, that's not what they serve there. So I think we're really clear on like, okay, if I got an issue with my teeth, I go to the dentist. If I've got an issue with my eyes, I go to my ophthalmologist, but we're still not clear on like, if I have an issue with my menstrual cycle, <laughs> maybe my medical doctor isn't like the only person that can help me. So I think we have to get to the, as women, especially, we want to know what's wrong. We want to get to the bottom of it. We want to know why I'm not ovulating regularly. We want to know why I've got the painful periods. The doctor doesn't necessarily have that answer. So we really have to start understanding that and understanding that there's other practitioners like, you know, medical doctors who have a functional medicine perspective, um, naturopathic doctors who specialize in fertility. Again, key is that they specialize in that. But really, we have to kind of open our eyes and recognize that there are, we all need doctors, but we, when you have an issue with your menstrual cycle, it's really important to not just stop at the doctor, especially if the doctor tells you there's nothing you can do, just go on the pill, oh, you just need Clomid to trigger ovulation, you're fine. Like, we just have to take it into our hands. But Lisa, when you gave that example, you, you know, you go to the eye doctor, you go to the whatever, but then I was thinking, well, if you use that scenario, then you go to your gynecologist and yeah. that. The gyno is one of the people. So I have this, like, well, the way I talk about it is a yeah. team. Like, I have a whole chapter on it because it's, like, that important. But it's, like, I talk about it as a team. It's a team sport. Right. As women, medicine wasn't made for us. Remember that all the scientific research was done on males, male animals, male people. And the medical profession, again, they don't know what to do with it. Like, honestly, 
if you've ever gone to your doctor with a menstrual problem and you ask your doctor, what can I do to fix it? The doctor tells you to go on the pill. That means that they don't really have an answer for you because they never studied what you have. Mm-hmm. Even, so, go, yes. even gynecologists, right? I mean, and, and gynecologists, yes. there's some, there's some really great gynecologists. So I'm not just, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not know, saying I mean, that you don't need a gyno. Yeah. Like I'm saying that because we all need doctors Yeah, and you do like you, like a gynecologist. You can't give yourself a pap smear. Not yet. No, and, like <laughs> this, this is not to say yeah. like one or the other. And that's, yeah. that's exactly my point. Yeah. Like that's exact because we kind of have this weird kind of tunnel vision way of looking at um, medical support when it comes mm-hmm. to our bodies, and it's like, well, no, I need my gyno, or no, I need my doctor. Well, yeah, the gyno, you have to know. It's like again, the McDonald's and Chuck E. Cheese. Like you need to know what your practitioner specializes in, what services they're able to provide for you, so that you know what you're getting. Like you can't go to your you know, gyno and ask for a nutritional and supplement plan to support your period health because the, the gyno didn't study nutrition in, in their, in their uh, medical training. That's not part of medical training. Talk to any medical doctor and they will tell you that their nutrition was like 30 minutes once. I didn't make that up. Like that's what the doctors say. So again, like you kind of have to have that like understanding that it's not just one practitioner that has all the answers that's not even fair to that practitioner Mm -hmm. to expect them to specialize in a field that they didn't specialize in exactly and someone who's seeing like 50 or 60 people a day for you know i mean it's just not gonna i know i was offered um prozac back in the day for pms great yeah i mean (laughs) i'm so glad that i have like the wherewithal and the and you know the foresight to say yeah i don't think i'm gonna go that route and then um, just a plug for Chinese medicine. It works great for PMS. I remember just being like, oh, okay, I should have done this in the beginning. There's even studies on it, right? So many years of feeling horrible and really, you know, that pre-monster syndrome at really changing the personality and clotting and things like that. And you're like, oh, I don't really know it could be this easy. I don't know if it, it always is, but I know it has a good track record for really helping because um, in Chinese medicine, they have a great understanding that goes back thousands of years of the menstrual cycle, and they've always looked at it as a, a vital sign, so it, it does work well. Um, okay, well, I loved this interview. I was so great. I'm so proud of you for writing this book. It just seemed like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm so impressed at this body of work, and I, I love what you do. I think it's so important. I mean, it's your legacy, right? I mean, it's, this is a really, really important message. Um, it just, you know, whether you're trying to get pregnant or, you know, you're, you're going to have a daughter and then you protect her. I mean, it's, gosh, it's, it's, it's the most important information for women today um, as far as, like, just being more in control of our own health and, and being empowered in that way. Um, yeah. So I, I thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Um, I love that you said that, and I couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for having me. This was a super fun conversation. I got like all heated. We went through like all kinds of different topics. So this is, this is fantastic. Thank you so much. I love this stuff. (laughs) I think, you know, let's not be squeamish about our bodily fluids and things. I know it's a I know 50% of the population, right? Like, so enough, like we don't need to hide it anymore. I believe. I know. That's, that's how it all started, right? Yeah, to hide it. And 
oh my God, I don't want anyone to see my pad in my purse. And, uh, you know, I'm on Ant Flow or whatever it's called. You had to call it all these code words. It was so embarrassing. And, um, yeah. you know, that's where it all started. Yeah, men aren't embarrassing when they have a bowel movement. That's like a whole other tangent. I believe right. that menstrual products should be like, you know how when you go to the bathroom, there's always toilet paper? Yeah. Yeah. I think there should always be menstrual products. And if this, if the world was upside down and men were women, there would be, there would be menstrual products in every bathroom. Okay. The only thing that I think with that is I think those menstrual products are so toxic that they probably, True, really but this is a start, but at least, start. yeah, unless, I mean, that's way better than going and going, Oh my gosh, I started my period and I have nothing on me. Um, but you know, I wouldn't yeah. use most commercial menstrual products and that's a whole God. that's a whole other topic but I, yeah. I still I still yeah. stand by that statement like I recognize yeah. that it may not be the like I know there's issues but at the same time yeah it should just be in the bathroom um I just want to share with your listeners that um they can get the first chapter oh, yeah. of my book Thank for free I was I, um, want to, I haven't been doing these podcasts as often no it's okay I just want to mention it because I know over. you're you're more versed at this than me Okay, so yeah, well, I just want to mention it because about your book and how to find you. Oh my gosh! Well, no, I just want to make sure they know that they can get the first chapter for free because okay. I thought it'd be kind of cool to give that away. Okay, um, and so the fifth vital sign book.com, um, because the first chapter is all about the menstrual cycle as a vital sign, and I go into some really neat research about why the menstrual cycle is important for health, like beyond just having babies. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of women get excited. Um, and also kind of pissed off <laughs> after learning about this. So, um, so yeah, it's like a little gift for your audience. So thank you. Okay, thank you. And then um, uh, how do they find out about your podcast and, and then it's fertilityfriday.com. Yeah, yeah. So um, the podcast is fertility Friday. If you, whatever your favorite podcast app, if you were to put in fertility Friday, it'll be the first thing that comes up. Um, and then website is the same, uh, for the, you know, over like the, the big website, fertilityfriday.com. Um, and then the book is available on Amazon and the, you know, your favorite online retailer where books are sold. And my goal is to have all three formats up simultaneously when it's released. We'll see. But either way, all meaning like it'll be available in audio. It'll be available on paperback. It'll be available in ebook. But we'll see how that works out because it's, it's been an interesting journey to get the book Oh, so are you the narrator of the I audio? am the narrator. Yeah. Oh, cool. I mean, I'm a podcaster, so I feel like my audience would be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, that's cool. So it's available on like Audible or... Um, yeah. Oh, good. Because that's how I kind of read books these days. Me too. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that way. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much. And I will, um, I'll contact you in the next couple of weeks when this comes out and your book comes out once again, January 21st. Is that the, the launch date? That's the launch date. Yes. Okay. That's in 11 days. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much, Lisa. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. 
Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.